Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Today, we have my good friend and colleague, Mike Milner. Mike Milner is a individualized coach. He is somebody who practices a tailored coaching method just like we do. He really dives into the process of making sure that the the diet and the training program is really personalized to the individual. And it's something that is near and dear to my heart because that's what our company is all about. That's all we do. We we help people on an individual basis. And Mike is one of those people that I've known for years now. And we always go back and forth uh, really on a weekly basis. We're in touch talking about different strategies, talking about science, talking about application, talking about life, talking about growth. So it's somebody that I can really see eye to eye with, somebody I agree with on so many different topics and somebody I truly enjoy conversing with on things like this. So I'm really excited to have him on the podcast, not only because I respect him and I learn so much every time we have a conversation and that he's going to teach you so much in this podcast today, but also because it gives him a good platform to share his uh, brand new project that just came out, The Personality Diet, which is his book that has just been published. Um, a phenomenal book that I really do recommend everybody go check out. You can find it at personalitydietbook.com. The Personality Diet Book is the simple solution to getting off the diet hamster wheel and finally creating lasting results. Inside this book, he's really going to dive into the process of assessing yourself, learning what is going on both physiologically and psychologically that requires a diet to work, um, that is required for a diet to work, I should say, and what is happening that's causing so many people's diets to not work. I mean, we know that statistics show the greater amount of people actually fail and regain weight. So dieting is, is, is success in the country. We all know how to diet, but sustaining the results from the diet, that's where we don't exactly know uh, why. That's where the system is kind of flawed. And he's going to share that with you today, why that is. And inside this book, he dives deep into that process. Um, and something I told him during the episode was actually – like listening to the table of contents, listening to the the order of, of how he approaches the different chapters in this book and, and really the context inside of this book in general kind of reminds me of the starting processes of a tailored coaching plan, like where we interview a person on the phone to find out as much as we can. We give them an in-depth questionnaire that tells us more than just their age, weight, height. We want to know their work schedule, their sleep schedule, their diet history, metabolic history, training history, injuries, foods they like, foods they don't like. Do they have a family? What are their social obligations? So many different factors inside of this questionnaire because we need to know everything about you to personalize the diet to you. Um, There is no cookie cutter approach that works long-term and and inside the personality diet book, That's basically what he's teaching you. He's teaching you that process of assessing, becoming aware, accepting what is, and then taking action on changing the things inside of your diet so you can see success that actually lasts. Um, So today we're going to dive into the book, obviously. We're also going to dive into some specific topics that you're going to find super valuable, Uh, things such as um, the personality types, the neurotypes that different people have and how those affect the right diet for you. We're going to talk about neuroplasticity and how your brain is wired and can be rewired. And we're also going to dive 
dive into the differences between a growth versus a fixed mindset and how that relates to dieting success in general. I think you guys are going to get a ton of value out of this podcast, but you'd get even more value if you went and checked out his book. You can find that at the personalitydietbook.com, personalitydietbook.com. Know the um, link will be in the show notes to this. I will also link uh, his Instagram in the show notes as well. Um, And last but not least, as always, guys, If you enjoy this episode, if you got value in this episode, and if you are going to buy the book, definitely, uh, make sure you take a screenshot of this episode and then tag us on Instagram. Post it on your story. Share this episode. We want more and more people to to hear this podcast and to learn and to grow because of it. You can tag me at Cody.BoomBoom. You can tag Mike at Coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. Tag us both. We want to see it. We want to share it on our story, and we want to thank you for listening. Without any further ado, let's get on to the episode with Mike Milner. All right, man. So first and foremost, I want to congratulate you on your book just launching. I'm sure it's, it looks it looks and feels pretty damn cool seeing your book on Amazon. Am I right? It's a crazy feeling. I don't even know how to describe it. It's it's all been a little surreal um, now that it's actually happened because of all the like build up beforehand and just the hours like scheduling out time every single day. And it's felt like a real thing for months. But now it's like it's on Amazon. So now right. it's legit. It looks crazy, dude. Like, I just like, it, it's funny for me too. like seeing like somebody that I like, you know, see eye to eye to somebody who's a friend of mine. It's like, damn, like he's an author now, <laughs> you know? Cause yeah. I think that like I have eBooks, but it's different when you're a published author on Amazon, it's completely different, man. So congrats. Cause that's a huge, that's a huge milestone, man. That's something I've always wanted to do. And, and you definitely, once I heard you on the call a couple weeks ago, talk about like how it was launching, that was the first I heard of it. And I was like, man, that just inspired me. Like I got to get back on that, that path of trying to do it eventually. Cause it's such a cool thing to accomplish. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And it's a, it's funny because it's something that is almost like a slap in the face to a former version of me where I was actually told in high school that I wasn't a good writer. And that was like an internal belief that I had about myself. It was a high school English teacher who basically called me out and was like, you're just not good at writing. And then that became like my internal dialogue for many, many years. And it was just one thing where like one day I questioned it because I had to do an assignment for somebody that I was working for. And it was a writing assignment. I was like, Oh shit, how am I going to do this? I'm not a good writer. And then I was like, why am I telling myself that? It's funny because when you believe those things, you start, I just didn't write because I didn't think I was good at it. So it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. Once I kind of shattered that whole internal dialogue, I actually fell in love with writing. Now it's like one of my favorite things to do. Like I look forward to writing my email, you know, my email blast. I look forward to writing content and, and the book just seemed like a natural progression from that. I was like, all right, I'm going to do something where um, I can actually provide some value in a way that I actually love to do. So it, it just seemed like the, the natural next step. That's, that's dope, dude. I think that's a really cool takeaway of uh, the self-fulfilling prophecy because I think so many people do that. They create these stories in their heads that basically dictate the results they're going to see, the actions they're going to make, the, the way things are going to shape in their life, period. And, and it, more often than not, it is a a false story. It's a false negative. It's just, it's just something that you create in your head out of scarcity or doubt or because of judgment from somebody else that has, it's completely relevant. Um, and I think that carries on to so many aspects of life. So I'm glad you pointed that out before we kind of dive into the actual book. Like, I think we should start with like, kind of like an about the author. So let's, let's start with that. Like obviously introduce your name since I haven't yet. And then, uh, and then dive into like what you have done over the last, you know, three to five years to, to build your career, what you focus on, so on and so forth. Give us kind of like your story in a nutshell. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Mike Milner. Uh, my company is Peak Optimization Performance. Uh, so my background was I grew up as an athlete um, and played sports all through college and, and you know, really never had to pay attention to anything fitness related. It was just, uh, I, I like to be active. I like to play, play sports. And that was kind of, you know, how I made friends and my social life and all of that kind of revolved around sports. And then after college ended, I had picked up a lot of bad habits in college and then organized sports was over. So my activity went way down. My eating and drinking stayed very high. Um, and it was like almost an overnight thing. Obviously it didn't happen overnight, but that's how it felt for me. Like one morning I woke up and I was like 250 pounds and didn't recognize myself and was like, who is this person that I'm looking at in the mirror? Um, and it was tough because it wasn't so much the physical part of it. It was like my identity because I was an athlete. Like that's how I identified. That's how I made friends. And now I had to like face this realization of like, I'm going to go home and see people that I haven't seen in a long time who are going to be like, what the fuck happened to you? Um, and that was really like the, the internal kind of insecurity that, that it created where it led me down a path of like, how can I get this weight off as fast as humanly possible uh, because I just, I wanted to be able to see people and not feel awkward uh, and like hear comments about how I've changed or what happened to you and all that stuff. So um, that led me down a path of like chronic dieting, uh, excessive cardio, very low calories and um, rinse and repeated that cycle for a number of times. Like I always had this goal, I'm going to get below 200 pounds, I would get below 200 pounds and then I would gain back and, you know, went through this classic chronic dieters cycle. Um, the first kind of like eye-opening moment for me was when I got out of the cardio trap and I'm not going to hate on cardio, but I was doing cardio and I was miserable doing it. And I found strength training and it was just kind of happenstance. Like I moved to a different town and I looked at the closest gym and they were like a strength training gym. And the owner was like, you need to build muscle, you need to lift weights. And um, I, I fell in love with it. So that was like the first kind of like paradigm shattering moment was like, I don't have to do cardio to get in shape. Um, and through that process, I was still doing a lot of dumb nutritional approaches as far as like very restrictive meal plans, um, you know, just like 1600 calories, one meal a day, sometimes two meals a day. Like I tried everything. So um, it was just a lot of like the nutrition was really my biggest hangup. So that became something uh, my personality type is like, when I want to learn something, I get obsessed with it and I try to learn absolutely everything. So that was the case with nutrition because I was like, I know that I'm missing something and I'm, I'm not, I don't consider myself like, you know, a dumb person. Like, why am I continuously failing? And seeing people around me uh, at the gym that I was going to, that was like really, you know, I'm fine with putting myself through the ringer, but seeing other people who were doing the same stuff and like not really making progress. And then they were signing up for like a new challenge and then they gain all the weight back and they'd be like, I need a challenge again. I'm like, isn't that the thing that got you into this mess in the first place? But, um, so I became obsessed with educating myself in nutrition. I got every single certification I possibly could. Um, and you know, that kind of started down the path of the, the owner of that gym actually called me one day and was like, have you ever thought about being a trainer? And I was like, not really. And he was like, come in, you'll like it. So I kind of shadowed him for a while, did the in-person training, you know, small group classes, one-on-one. -on -one. Um, but my, my heart was always in the nutrition side of things. So, you know, going through, I, I became a nutrition coach. I was working for another company um, and, you know, they did things in a very um, cookie cutter way. And it just didn't align with, with me morally uh, because I started to recognize and, you know, something like when you have in-person experience, you realize that you can't coach people the same way. 
Uh, and it's just kind of intuitive. Like if you can give somebody a cue and, and it just clicks and then you can give somebody else the same exact cue and they're like, what are you talking about? And you learn pretty quickly that, you know, people are different. And so when I saw the way that nutrition was being handled and trying to put everybody into the same box, it just didn't jive with what I believed in. So that was kind of the whole, um, you know, why I started my own company. That's kind of the whole like concept of the book. That's like what we do. It's helping people understand their own individual needs. So I know it's a long-winded intro, but just wanted to provide the context there. Oh, that's perfect, dude. I think it's, it's, it's always cool too, because, and this is why we always get along so well, is our stories are pretty similar and we both kind of had the same light bulb moments throughout our history and same kind of uh, purpose driving what we do and how we do it. And we both really tailor the process of everything, which is why, again, we get along so well. Um, but I also think it's cool because like, you were the person you wrote this book for essentially, right? Like you went through this cyclical approach of going through crash diets or challenges. And I love that you brought that up because there's so many people. And I remember this more so when I was in the gym as well, training people in person, which I also agree with. It's a valuable component of being able to read people and understand people and, and know why individualization is so important, but watching people go through this cyclical uh, fashion of going through challenge after challenge or relying on challenge. And some people even do it with like bikini competitions. Like they have to have this deadline. They have to have this show. They have to have this thing to drive that weight loss um, instead of having something that is uh, applicable to their life and actually is going to educate them in the process. So it's cool to hear that background. And it's cool to know for the listeners that like you were literally the person that needed this book. And that's what gives you so much more credit to be able to write it, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. It was literally written for me 10 years ago. Um, and, and it's like, if I had known then what I know, it could have saved me a lot of just mental anguish, really. And, you know, the, the thing that's frustrating is oftentimes we blame ourselves. We never look at the vehicle, like the vehicle for getting to what we, you know, we want to we have a certain goal in mind and we pick whatever vehicle it is. It could be a challenge. It could be any sort of like fad diet. And when we see a little bit of success temporarily, we're like, okay, this vehicle works. And then we end up back at square one because the vehicle failed us, but we look internally. We're like, I was the failure. And that was kind of the story that I told myself kind of going back to that internal dialogue that we started with. It's like, what am I doing wrong? What's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? And then you see other people just by like the messaging out there. It's like, well, so-and-so did really well with this approach. And then I'm like, oh, I'm going to do that approach, but I didn't do well. So it must be my fault. Um, and that's kind of like where I felt like coming in and talking about things more from a psychology perspective, more from a mindset perspective, um, because the information is readily available. Like we have more access to information than ever before. It's not a lack of information. There's just a disconnect, right? And it's, and it's this, this mindset that um, you're to blame and, and that we kind of look for, uh, we look for that external validation almost in a different diet approach. So we just end up trying a different version of the same thing. And that was one of my light bulb moments where I really assessed, like I've gone through, a dozen different dietary protocols and every single one was just a different version of the same thing. And I wasn't going to get out of that cycle until I started to think about it differently and understand my own individual needs. hundred percent. And I think something I actually wrote about this the other day is like, people need to understand that uh, the principle of a calorie deficit is so important, not because that's how you lose weight, but because that's how you can understand that everything is the same all these fad diets are just doing that one thing in different ways. And a lot of them aren't sustainable ways of doing it. So finding a sustainable way to create a deficit really is the key to weight loss. And it's really simple. Um, so we kind of know 
essentially why you wrote the book, right? To, to teach people how to individualize this process, I'm assuming. But can you tell us, A, the title of the book, the full title, and then um, kind of dive into just the overall theme um, and purpose behind writing this besides your, your journey and your story? Yeah, so the title of the book is The Personality Diet. Um, and, and really the whole kind of theme and present premise is to get people to understand things um, through their own personal lens. So when I say like the personality diet, and I, I use the word diet intentionally, because oftentimes we associate that word with restriction, with deprivation, uh, there's typically a negative connotation when I say diet. Um, and I feel like when we dance around that word, we give it too much power. And when you just look at the definition, it's literally just something along the lines of the food and drinks that we consume, right? It's not anything that like we kind of placed that negative connotation on it. So I, I, I chose that word um, on purpose because I wanted to kind of take it back as far as like the personality diet means the foods and drinks that, that help you thrive as an individual. And that's really it. Like we all are different. We all have our own unique needs. Our lifestyles are different. Our habits, our personal preferences, uh, what we enjoy doing, what we value. Like that's all unique to us as individuals. So um, personality diet, the premise is like, how can we filter all of the noise out there and put it through our own personal lens to come up with a solution that is sustainable for life. And that's the end game. It's like, um, you know, rather than trying to look at one diet that's like the end all be all or, you know, one methodology that works for everyone, which we, we see a lot of, we see a lot of dietary dogma, we see a lot of nutrition ideology. Um, so the goal is to change that conversation and to start talking about the way that we do. And, and I know how you approach things, which is like, let's assess the individual first, and then build the framework from there. Do you have a, uh, this is kind of a, a question based off the actual table context, like going into the book, do you, did you have a, almost like a chronological order for how you approach this? Because I understand, I completely understand what you're saying. I think the audience will resonate a ton with it because I talk about personalizing a diet so much on here. So I think that resonates. But how do you look at that? Like, I know you have a bunch of different factors that come into play um, in the book itself. Like, did you have any like order of importance or was it kind of just as long as you understand the whole concept? Yeah, so the flow was very intentional. Um, and the way that I start the book is basically by, for lack of a better term, shitting on the diet industry. So, um, you know, helping people understand that there, you know, there's a very low success rate with dieting. And it's not because of a lack of information. It's not because of a lack of funding, like it's a multi billion dollar industry. And I just looked at it from it's a flawed system and help to kind of expose some of the reasons why it's flawed as far as, you know, kind of a lot of the things that we've been talking about, like there's typically a deadline on, you know, nutrition, like you're going to do this restrictive approach, but it's only going to be for six weeks. And then what happens after that? Um, well, we know, statistically speaking, there's a 95% chance that you're going to gain weight back or possibly gain it back plus interest. So looking at, you know, uh, the the reliance on diets as well, the psychological manipulation that happens and, and the way that that like a good example of that is there's a very popular weight loss company that like openly states that when their clients leave them, they fail and then have to come back to them and they brag about that as that's a good thing. Like, oh, you couldn't do it without us. You need us. And if you think about that, that's like the most you know, it's a, it's a kind of crazy form of oppression, for lack of a better term. It's like, 
what I want you to do is to not need a coach. I want you to be totally self-sustainable and self-reliant within your nutrition and your fitness. So to think like it's almost the exact opposite approach as, as the diet industry where there's this, you know, this massive companies like you can't do it without us because when you leave, you gain the weight back and then you need us. And, and I just think that message is so backwards. So that was kind of like how I opened it to just break down some of the flaws in the diet industry. Um, then I start to get into some of the individual characteristics that actually matter when it comes to how do we sift through some of this information that's out there. So you get inundated with a lot of information about, you know, should you be doing keto? Should you be doing vegan? Should you be intermittent fasting? Should you be doing, you know, carb backloading? Whatever the, the method is, there's a lot of information out there. And again, there's this like kind of this message that spread that there's one way to do it that fits everyone, which is obviously not true. So I start to get into how do we break down some of the individual factors that actually matter as far as like, what is your personality type? What are your personal preferences? Um, what's your diet history? You know, what's your training like? What's your activity like? What's your lifestyle? Even just like from the pure sense of personal enjoyment, which I think is one of the most overlooked parts of the equation. It's like, what do I actually enjoy doing? Uh, and that that is like when I talk to people and I get on the phone with them, a lot of times I'll hear something along the lines of, well, I really love carbs, but I know I shouldn't be eating them. Right. And so there's this disconnect. It's like, well, who said you shouldn't be eating them? And it's like you enjoy doing something, but you're actively removing it from your life. And and also like, look, you know, if you have a goal of fat loss and you want to go through an intentional period of restriction, there are sacrifices that need to be made. But why would we make it as miserable as possible and take away stuff that we actually enjoy doing? So that's kind of like the second part that I get into. Um, and then I kind of shift gears for a little bit to talk intentionally about mindset. So after we get into like the personal aspects of it, um, I talk a lot about consistency and adherence, kind of what you mentioned, like a calorie deficit. We know that that drives weight loss. However, that information has been around for a very long time and people still aren't successful with it. So it's not about the calorie deficit itself. It's about creating consistency, adherence and sustainability within that approach. Um, so then, then we kind of get into more of the mindset side of things, because from my experience, that's often the limiting factor. It's often some form of, of mindset thing. So I like to take the psychology first and then let the physiology kind of fall into place. Because if I can, you know, get you to a better place with more of a growth mindset, where all of a sudden you start to believe that every setback and every failure is an opportunity for you to learn and get better. You're never going to stop. Like the journey becomes infinite, which is what we want because this is for life, right? There's no end date. Um, sometimes that's a hard perspective to take to realize that, you know, your body doesn't really give a fuck about your six week goal. Sometimes we just have to realize that it's going to be a lot longer and it's going to, we're going to have to always be working at this. So like taking that big picture approach. Um, so we go more into like the mindset side of things, growth versus fixed mindset. Um, and then, you know, helping people understand that there's a lot of power behind that. There's a lot of control that we have into our psychology that will immediately impact our physiology. And, and stress is a great example of that. Like stress is one of the biggest disruptors for health and wellness, but our, our stress is all perceived. 
And so if we can change our psychology and we can kind of change the way that we perceive things, um, we can literally change our physiology. And it goes both ways, right? You can change your, your physiology, you can change your state, which will impact your psychology, not to get like too deep into a rabbit hole here. But like, if I want to change my mood, I can literally change my posture and sit up and pull my shoulders back and act, you know, be a tall standing figure. And that will change my phys my psychological state. But I can also change my psychology first, take on more of a growth mindset, practice gratitude, do these things that will then change my physiology. So um, it kind of goes both ways. And then once we understand that, like, we can actually rewire our brain. So, um, you know, talking about internal dialogue and stories that we tell ourselves, like we have this neurological pathway that kind of gets ingrained in us based off of past experience and habit. And we have control over that, which is pretty fascinating. We can actually mold and rewire our brain to be more growth mindset. Um, and so that's kind of the progression. At the end, I get more into like the specifics of nutrition, which is funny because I saved that for like the very end of the book, which tells you like how I feel about the actual particulars of like nutrition fundamentals, how to like count macros and budget, you know, your, your food tracking and that sort of thing. And then I talk about intuitive eating because I believe that it shouldn't be an either or conversation. It should be a both conversation. Both are tools that we should have in our toolbox and they can be used when the context calls for it. Um, if you're somebody who's super dependent on numbers and you're like scared to listen to your body, you should probably practice more intuitive eating. If you're somebody who has no awareness around portion sizes or what foods feel right for you, um, you should probably create some awareness around food tracking and budgeting. So um, that's kind of the whole kind of progression that I go through and why it was laid out that way. It's so hard for me now because I'm like, man, there's so much context in that, that which way do I want to take this? Which one do I want to pick apart? Um, but I think that the cool thing that I kind of took away, and you could probably relate to this too, is and it's actually probably helped you write it, is like, as you were talking about all these different factors, I kind of thought in my head, like, man, this is almost like my, my questionnaire, my assessment, and my phone call with that client at the very beginning put together into a book to teach the individual how to do it on their own. Would that be like an accurate statement? Because essentially you're teaching people what to look for, why you need to look for it, what effects those things have, and then how to change it. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's, it's literally like an individual assessment broken down into concepts that I think are important for them to understand um, and be able to apply on their own. And I think that, and I know that you preach this as well about teaching people how to fish, basically. Like you put a lot of time and effort in explaining the why behind everything that you do. So you don't just give a client a plan and tell them to go do it. You give them a plan and you explain, here's why we're doing this. Here's what we're hoping to see. You know, you give them, you know, the context behind it. So that's really like the, the main objective is let's take this information and teach people um, so that they can be self-sustaining. And that will change the conversation because when people rely on a program to get them results and they're so dependent on a diet, that's all they know. So they try and pull people into that. That's why you see the message of, oh, you should do this. I did, you know, I, and I'm not knocking keto, but like I did keto, you should do keto. Like that's the message that happens when you teach people why it worked for them as individuals, then the, the, the conversation starts to change. And that's really my objective is like, let's change the conversation around dieting and what actually works. So the first part I want to talk about that is the personality type thing. Can you explain, um, because neurotyping in itself is, is is like a whole 
different ball game. Like it's a can, like we can dive super deep in that. I actually have one of my coaches that went through the certification. She wrote a blog. I've had Christian Thibodeau on here. So we've talked about personality types quite a bit, um, but actually more so on the training realm. So I'm curious, A, what are the personality types and how do they affect the diet that suits somebody best? And then B, how are you teaching that inside the book? Because I'm sure it's different from what goes on in your head because you can assess somebody's neurotype or personality type and do a lot with that, but people can't see the, the wheels turning inside your head and how you do that. So how are you putting that into a book context? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. And, and Christian Thibodeau was, you know, one of my early mentors and I went, you know, was one of the early adopters of neurotype training and somebody that I still rely on heavily. Um, just one of the smartest dudes I know. What I saw was that there was a, a huge need for more on the personality type when it comes to nutrition, because it's literally one of the biggest influences on neurotransmitters. So when we talk about, you know, your neurotype or your personality type, um, you know, we have five different profiles. And what I try to outline is really like the personality characteristics for each type and what that looks like. I think sometimes um, it helps and it's, and it's fun to like nerd out on the neurotransmitter balance and, you know, dopamine dominant individuals versus adrenaline dominant. Um, and there's some of that in there, but I wanted to keep it super simple as far as like, what are the personality traits of each neurotype? And what does that mean when it comes to nutrition? And I always try to like frame this in the sense that it gives us a place to start, but it's not like there's, a, there's one way of doing things for a type 1A and you have to follow that methodology. There's things that we know about certain personality types. So like a type 1A, they're dopamine dominant. So when we look at like personality characteristics, they're gonna be more extrovert and more of like your vocal leader. They take up a lot of space, both like physically and they just kind of command a room. Um, they're definitely competitive. They, they argue a lot. Um, they're very motivated by, by achieving their goals. So because they're so sensitive to any dopamine increase, they want to pursue aggressive goals, which is like when you talk about their training, typical power lifters, like win the workout, add more weight to the bar. So when we, when we look at it from a nutrition perspective, it's more about how can we structure things in a way to get the best compliance. And that's kind of how I look at it when it comes to a nutrition plan based off of your personality type is like, how can we set things up to get the best compliance? So we take all of the individual factors that we've talked about as far as like, you know, what are your goals? What's your training style, your, your diet history, um, all these things, like what do you enjoy doing? But if we look at your personality type, I know that if I give a type one a, and I'm like, Hey, we're going to, you know, you know, we're going to start you off on this like 12 week program, same macros every day. Um, you know, there's not going to be much change and you're just going to hit this like, you know, we're not going to really push too hard. They're going to lose interest very quickly because I'm not doing anything to potentiate them. They are motivated by aggressive goals. So for them, it might be like to get that initial buy in we're going to come in and we're going to get pretty aggressive on the front end. I'm, you know, if you have a fat loss goal, like we're going to go at it and we're going to, you know, hit this blitz period of like three to four weeks of aggressive dieting um, that gets them into it. It's like, all right, I know I have this aggressive goal I have to go after. Um, and then that's like getting the compliance on the front end then allows you to kind of get the buy-in and start to uh, make sure that we're taking care of things from like, a periodization standpoint, make sure that we're not, you know, putting them at risk of any metabolic adaptation. So it's like, you know what, we're going to back off for, you know, one to two weeks, restore maintenance, you know, and then we're going to go at it again. So I always look at it from, from a compliance standpoint, but there's also a connection between like 
food and mood. So um, like neurotransmitters and how we feel, um, there's a huge connection there. So I know that for a type 1A, I want to support their dopamine. So I want to support their dopaminergic system, which basically that would look like high protein. Um, you know, they can actually handle lower carbs because they have higher serotonin. So they don't need as many carbs, but like high protein, you know, more moderate to high fat, especially if we're, you know, we're going to get more aggressive on like a dieting phase, they can definitely do more of a low carb approach. But I want to make sure that, you know, because higher protein without carbs is going to favor the transport of L-tyrosine, which is one of the building blocks to dopamine. So that's an easy way to kind of cater to their their brain chemistry. Um, they also have low levels of acetylcholine. So we would want to make sure that we're getting more choline in the diet. So adding things like eggs and, you know, grass fed beef and that sort of thing. Um, so getting, you know, looking at neurotransmitter balance, understanding a person's personality type gives us a little insight into how we can kind of manipulate some small variables that would, you know, give them more, you know, more natural motivation, just more mood stability. So they're not like all over the place. Like we know that if a type one, a depletes their dopamine or they're desensitized to dopamine, they're going to feel like crap. Like they're not going to want to do anything. They're going to eat a bunch of, you know, high sugar, like highly processed food because it's going to give them that temporary dopamine increase that they're craving, but then it's also going to crash back down. So it can be a vicious cycle um, from a, lifestyle perspective, then there's other variables like, you know, too much stimulation or too much reliance on, you know, stimulants like caffeine or, or other drugs or alcohol, that's going to end up depleting their or desensitizing their dopamine as well. So there's other lifestyle variables. Um, and we could literally go through this for every single profile. But I just wanted to kind of give an example of like, some of the consideration, I don't go like too deep in the weeds with this in the book, I just kind of outline, I mean, they're actually everything that I've talked about right now is pretty much in the book. So, but I wanted to give kind of a basic understanding of what your personality traits tell us about your brain chemistry, and then certain things we can do from a nutrition and lifestyle perspective to just have you feeling your best. And again, always understanding that it's about compliance. So just because you're a type 1A, that doesn't mean we're going to, you know, have to stick solely to this one way of doing things like there's going to be some other considerations based off of like what phase you're in in life and you know situational context like are we in the middle of a pandemic or like what's going on in you know in your life that may require us to to take a different approach if that makes sense yeah it does and i think that it's it's helpful for people to know that everybody has like a combination of personality types, right? And traits because, and I look at it like muscle fibers, like there's people who are type one, like muscle fiber dominant, type two, slow twitch, fast twitch. They're not solely fast twitch and only need fast twitch style exercises, right? Or low reps and explosive work. They just have a dominance in that muscle fiber type. So that type of training for the majority of their volume is probably going to work best where they still need some slow twitch, right? And I think that's kind of how I look at it with personality types because I've taken the personality uh, tests and, and worked people to, to figure out mine. And multiple times, it's always been two. It's always been two different things. And sometimes they have complete opposite traits, but it's just about, again, tailoring that process to yourself and going through it and, and kind of understanding which traits are going to help you adhere, which traits are going to basically not allow you to adhere if that makes sense yeah yeah exactly and it has to always pass kind of like the real life test like it's great there like we, we get your assessment we know your dominant profile we know your secondary profile we know how you scored with every neurotype um so we can gives us a starting point and then we just start to peel it back like what felt good about this what didn't um and then that like kind of allows us to 
fine tune the process as we see what's happening in a real life scenario. Um, I think that that's an important thing to understand in general is that it's the same thing with studies. Like studies give us an average, they might give us a starting point, but we know that there's gonna be individual variants across the board within like the data points that we're looking at. So just because somebody doesn't like fit the model of a controlled environment or what happened in a controlled environment, that doesn't mean that anything's wrong with the approach, it just means that it didn't pass the real life test and we just have to adjust accordingly. 100%. Um, I, I want to dive into neuroplasticity now. Uh, you have a whole chapter on that in the book. Can you explain to the listener what that is, why it's important, and kind of dive into to what you're teaching inside of it? Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was an important concept to discuss because it's very empowering when you understand it. Um, and it's something that was not believed to be true until recently. Uh, and essentially, it's the concept that we can actually rewire our brain, we can create new neurological pathways and neurological connections that happen. So, you know, we have neurons firing in our brain um, and typically based off of like past experience or emotional trauma or things that you went through, um, there's this very distinct path that these neurons will, will connect and follow this kind of same, the same flow, which leads you to kind of repeating the same behaviors over and over again. Um, the way that I, I like to use the analogy, it's like, you started off by riding your bike over a dirt path. And the first time you rode over that path, it didn't really create a divot, but throughout your life, you've ridden over that path, you know, 10,000 times. And now that's pretty ingrained. Um, and so we used to believe that like these, these pathways and, and this like neurological connection was kind of all set in stone, just based off of like brain development. Um, and now what we know is that we can actually rewire those connections. We can rewire those pathways so we can actually you know, kind of fill in that divot that was created by the old, you know, way of doing things. And we can actually create a new one and it changes the shape of our brain, which is the whole concept of neuroplasticity, meaning like our brains are plastic, we can actually mold the shape. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty cool phenomenon. And I think what it allows you to do is have more of a growth mindset in the things that you can control. Um, if you've ever heard somebody say like, I can't track macros, or I'm just not good at meal prep, or I'm just not good. And like, we have these very black and white statements. Um, I think that it helps people pull themselves out of that thought process and realize that, you know, you may have just been doing things one way for a very long time. So that pathway is pretty ingrained, like that divot is pretty deep. So yeah, it might take some active work to, to kind of fill that divot and create a new path, but it is possible. Um, and it's also not that complicated, which I think is cool. Like, you know, there's a lot of people that think that like mindfulness practices are like woo woo or whatever, and they don't want to take the time to do like a gratitude practice or journal um, or meditate. But these are the things that actually make a difference in rewiring those connections and doing like visualization. And um, oftentimes people think like, oh, I visualize something and then like this manifestation happened and it's magic. It's not magic. You visualized it and then you started acting as that person. So the results followed because you actually were rewiring your brain by doing a visualization practice. It wasn't like, um, you know, some magical thing happened. It's like when you want to become more fit and you start visualizing yourself as a fit person, you start acting the part and then the results come. Does that kind of make sense? Like that's the process of neuroplasticity where we can literally rewire the, the kind of neurological um, connections that are happening um, and create this pathway that is more favorable to the results that we want. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. I think it's, I think it's one of those things like my, my two thoughts that come up about it are like, there's a lot of people who just 
I don't know if they don't buy into it, but they don't take action on it because it's kind of cheesy, right? Like envision yourself succeeding, envision yourself fit, like talk to you. Like I, dude, I remember talking to myself in the mirror, like literally talking out loud about being successful and, and changing my body and things like that. But there's a lot of people who won't do that shit because they think it's cheesy or think it's woo woo. But the reality is, is like, this is like science proving that it actually does help. Um, and I'd have a lot of people consider, and this is the second thought that comes up in my mind, that it works in the opposite as well. So you were talking about people who have, and, and we even talked about you with writing, having a false narrative in your head of like, I'm not good at writing. So you just don't write, right? Like I'm genetically ungifted. So I'm just not even going to try to lose weight because my genetics suck. My environment sucks. My job sucks, whatever it is. I don't have the opportunity, but I think this neuroplasticity works in the negative sense as well, because if you keep wiring your brain in that negative route, you're going to get deeper and deeper and deeper into that hole. So it's, it's almost empowering from a sense of like, Hey, this is fact and you might be screwing yourself because of it. So like, let's just start saying what is potential or possible or could happen so that you start to flip that switch, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And, and it's, it's the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset, which can be context dependent. So you can have a fixed mindset in one area of your life, like I did with writing, and a growth mindset in another area like fitness, I could believe that I have my the ability to control my own destiny when it comes to fitness. But I can, uh, you know, on the flip side of that, I might think that I was just dealt this hand when it comes to writing and, and there's nothing I can do about it. So I can have a fixed mindset in one area and a growth mindset in another. But when you start to understand the concept of, of neuroplasticity and, and realize that it's all within your control, um, that becomes a very empowering, empowering thing because it creates more self-awareness. You start to assess where am I, you know, where am I operating with a fixed mindset or what are these stories that I'm telling myself and you start to unpack that and peel back the layers and then you realize, oh, okay, I know that I have more of a fixed mindset in this area of my life. That doesn't make it easy to get out of because like you said, it can be very ingrained over years of telling yourself that same narrative, but knowing that you can do something about it, um, now you can start that process. And, and I think that that's the ultimate key. It's like it creates more self-awareness and then it puts kind of everything in your own control. Um, and there's been some cool studies done about growth mindset in, in you know, direct correlation with fitness. So like literally just reading one article that gives you more of a growth mindset before tackling a 12 week program, increase the likelihood of success. And it's just something that simple where somebody could come into it with a fixed mindset, read one single article, and that can improve their likelihood of following through and seeing results. So um, it's a powerful tool. And I think that ultimately just understanding it gives you more self-awareness to assess the areas that you might have a growth mindset and the areas that you might have a fixed mindset. And then we can pull from experience. So one of the things that I love about training is it actually gives you a real tangible um, experience of I stepped into the gym and I wasn't good at this when I started, but now I've progressed a lot and I'm stronger and I can lift heavier, right? It gives you this like internal confidence of I know that I can do challenging things and get better at it because I this is you know training is one modality that I've been able to do that and you can take that and apply it to a different area whether it be your relationships or your career or you know anything any area of life that you want to improve I love that man I think uh I think there's just like it's cool because this entire book is almost 
pitching isn't the right word, but uh, explaining the value inside of coaching, right? Like, and I think like when we look at like an individual, like a good coaching program, an individualized coaching program, it really does like layer things in this order and teach you these things in this order. And even like that last piece you talked about with like, somebody reads a book uh, or an article prior to starting a program, they're going to be more likely to succeed. Like that's coaching on a consistent basis. Coaching, good coaching is constant education. It's constant accountability. It's constant feedback. So for people listening, imagine being able to have that feeling constantly. Like I know we're talking about a book here, but like that's where I see so much value inside of coaching because people will talk about prescribing macros and, and, you know, like the strategies that I use versus you or periodization and like that stuff is all great. But the reality of successful coaching comes down to the psychology and just the simple act of having this relationship with one another, right? That's why we both invest in coaching as well, because having a relationship with somebody you respect and look up to that can give you guidance and, and just have that conversation that creates this essentially neuroplasticity is so valuable to seeing results. And it has nothing to do with like a tactic or a strategy. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And it's, and it's also counterintuitive to kind of pursue that on your own because of the fact that our brains are kind of built for survival and comfort and predictability. Like if like novelty as from an evolutionary standpoint could literally kill us. Um, now novelty is a good thing because we have to seek, you know, discomfort. We have to put ourselves in challenging situations to grow and evolve. But, you know, back when we were like hunter gatherers, if there was something that we didn't know, um, it was a threat to our survival. So our brain doesn't like things that are not predictable, which is why so many people are struggling right now with the current situation that's happening, because we don't know how long we're going to be in lockdown. We don't know how long we're going to be in quarantine. There's this unpredictability, which is like our brains thrive on certainty. And that's kind of been taken away from us. So from like a survival standpoint, it's like, you know, I don't, I don't know what's going on right now. Um, and so that, that's like, when you talk about the value of coaching, it can be counterintuitive if left to your own devices to kind of pursue that, you know, growth mindset, and I'm going to actively seek discomfort. There's people that do it, obviously, but um, I think having somebody in your corner that's constantly facilitating that, um, it's, it's a invaluable asset. I love that, man. I, it's actually a really good analogy of like, kind of taking a scientific approach of looking at our history and how uncertainty is is a threat and we stay away from it and, and how that's like almost wired in our brain to keep us comfortable and in our comfort zone. And so many people, like you said, struggle with getting out of their comfort zone. Um, and I'd actually like to hear your thoughts on this, if there is any anything that you've taken away from studying all this neuroplasticity and, and neurotyping and things like that. Um, I get the question all the time of like, how do I get a growth mindset or how do you stay motivated or how do you keep stepping into like the uncomfortable or the unknown? Um, and why are you okay with the uncertainty of what's going on right now? And like, I'm actually really calm about the whole thing. And part of me is like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you because maybe it's just genetically embedded in me, thankfully. But then the other part of me after listening to what you just said kind of thinks like, well, man, I always have a coach. I always have a group of people that are like, like we're a part of a group. Like I always have that group. I always have coaches. I always have a team. I always have somebody that is pushing me to step out of my comfort zone or kind of puts the responsibility on my back of like, you have to keep stepping into the unknown. Um, so maybe that's just it, but I'm just curious of your thoughts of like, is there a way for people to shift into this? Is it as simple as just thinking with a growth mindset or is there actually like tangible things to do? 
Yeah, so I am a big believer in mindfulness practices, and there is a ton of research to support this. And what's cool about that is there's actually research to support it from a fitness perspective, as in you have a much greater chance of achieving and sustaining weight loss if you practice some form of mindfulness, direct connection. Um, and the reason for that is pretty simple. If you think about like what we need to kind of unpack some of those internal beliefs, some of that, the internal dialogues that we create, some of the self-limiting beliefs, um, you know, when we have a fixed mindset, the only way to like assess and, and challenge those is to be internally thinking, to actually be like an observer of your thoughts and emotions without like judgment, without trying to like change them or be like, this is wrong or whatever, but literally to be an observer and to sit back and, and experience those things without judgment. The only way to do that is to be mindful and and it's like a broad term but i can help explain it like if you think about when you're activated and when like that stress response is triggered again talking about how we're wired it's like all hands on deck this is literally survival the stress response that happens in our body is designed to keep us alive so there's no time for like hmm which what am i thinking what are my thoughts what are my emotions like if i see a saber-toothed tiger it's like either run or fight like there's no in between we don't have time for this internal like observation. So if you think about like when we're always activated, and this is part of the reason why a lot of people struggle with like stress eating, emotional eating, um, it's, it's a survival mechanism. So if we don't actively put ourselves in situations where we can just sit and think and, and observe um, and not identify with our thoughts and emotions, but literally just experience them as kind of like a person behind the scene who's witnessing it and, and embracing it, um, that practice will allow you to understand where those thoughts are coming from and it will allow you to see that it that they're all kind of that they're not permanent that you can actually reframe them that you can watch it's almost like a cloud passing like you see because when we're in this state when we feel emotions we always feel like they're permanent right when we're sad we're like this is now my forever state even though it's not but that's how we feel in the moment um, when you can actually just sit and be mindful for a second you can just watch that feeling come and go like a cloud passing and all of a sudden you realize this isn't permanent and then you can take conscious action um, so what happens a lot of times with like binge eating stress eating emotional eating uh, we're acting based off an emotion and there's no there's no gap in between the emotion and the action it's just it's like that that neurological pathway has been wired where there's this you know, emotion that I felt, it could be anger, frustration, sadness, grief, whatever. And then there's immediate reaction, which is grab a bag of chips or binge on chocolate or whatever it may be. And there's never a gap in between there to just experience it, um, allow it to pass and then make a conscious choice as to what you're going to do next. So when we talk about like mindfulness practices, it's literally just being able to sit in silence and witness some of those things happening. It's being able to actively practice gratitude. Um, it's being able to just you know journal and write out your thoughts it's anything and it can look different like walking meditation can be great um you know just sitting with yourself and trying to sit in silence for 10 minutes and just notice how often you get distracted and then coming back to your breath or it could be sitting and like you can actually use food as an anchor so you could literally sit with a meal and just observe with like all five of your senses what is this what does this taste like what does this feel like what does this smell like um, and just become present in that moment where now you're no longer activated so you're able to make conscious choices and and that becomes like the process for having more of a growth mindset and believing that you can 
put yourself in uncomfortable situations because of the fact that um, we're often driven by the emotional brain. And if we don't ever give ourselves that pause and that gap, then we never really give the logical brain a chance to come in and like have that pep talk with us. Like, you know what, this is really what you need. You've been avoiding it because of this emotional response, but you know that this is going to better your situation in the end or being able to think about like, what's the worst case scenario if this does go wrong. And then you play that out and you're like, you do a visualization and you're like, you know what, the worst case scenario actually wasn't that bad. So yes, I do want to pursue this. And, um, it, without some form of getting internal and like working on self, uh, there's really no way to like actively facilitate more of a growth mindset without having somebody like kind of telling you to do it. But you really need to embrace, and it looks different for everybody. So you really need to like embrace something that kind of feels right for you. Um, some people do great with walking meditation. Some people just like to start with an easy gratitude practice or just like some exercise I like to do is just literally witnessing how distracted I get and just watching like in 10 minutes how many different thoughts came and went and that's like an easy way for me to realize that a lot of the stuff that I felt was permanent is really just fleeting and you know that comes with like how do you stay motivated? Nobody stays motivated. It's just another emotion. It's fleeting. It comes and goes. It's unreliable. But when you witness every emotion and you experience them in that same way, you realize that you don't have to rely on motivation. Um, and all, the, all of a sudden, it doesn't become a necessity. Once you feel motivated, then you can act on it. It's almost like a turbo button because now, you know, I have these consistent habits in place. Then motivation hits and then I'm like, you know, on that times 100, but I don't rely on it. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's, that's fucking golden, dude. I think that um, I was talking about this earlier on a podcast, like these, these essentially like three steps that lead to acceleration. And, and it comes up from what you're talking about, because I think something I took away from what you just said, and I, I believe it's so, so, uh, so much is like, you have to first gain awareness of what is and then accept what is in order to move forward, period. Like a lot of people are stuck even creating awareness, but let alone accepting what already is. Um, and so like, I always just talk about like, become aware, then accept and then take action so you can accelerate. Right. And I think that's like the process of, of developing not only a growth mindset, but just being successful in any area. It's like, okay, let's gain awareness of the situation we're in. Let's accept the situation and let's take action on changing that situation so we can accelerate and see, see more growth in our mindset or our business or our body or whatever it may be. Um, yeah, I think it's, imp it's important that like in the beginning, some of those actions are going to be like counterintuitive because of what you've always done right. so when you say like you, you're gonna have to take conscious action that's the key it's like this conscious choice ultimately when you do it enough it becomes something that is just automatic and that's the goal is you want to make it you know something that's like brushing your teeth it's automatic behavior it doesn't take up much brain space but you had to get to that point over time so that's like one of the things when not to always bring it back to like the binge eating conversation but one of the things that that really helps is when you can make a conscious choice and you create that pause between the emotion and the reaction the conscious choice may still be to to binge it may still be to overconsume but that's a huge win that you made that conscious decision versus a mindless act that you didn't you weren't even aware of and that that's how i know that somebody's on the the path to 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 kind of using a more productive outlet because they're like yeah I made the conscious decision to do this and I was very aware of it. So like you said, it's awareness, it's acceptance, and then it's a conscious choice and um, helping 
people just frame that in the beginning because you've never done that before it will feel um, a little bit abnormal you're gonna have to just kind of get it's like the first rep when you you tried to deadlift the first time in the gym like you you didn't you know knock it out of the park for at least i hope not because i struggled with deadlifts for a while but like you know that first rep was uncomfortable and you had to put reps in before it became more natural yeah and it's it's i've said that multiple times to clients who struggle with uh binge eating and stuff like that too is like hey i don't give a shit if you binge i mean that that's false i do care like i want to help you but like my point being is like hey this weekend you might do you might binge i don't care about that i care about you writing down where you're at what just happened what your stresses are like let's become aware of your environment and the time that you're doing this because that's how you learn from the situation right like like if you learn and binge that's better than just binging and not learning anything from it because that that knowledge that conscious decision that you're talking about is where people can fix it next time or maybe binge less or binge less often and and it kind of just chips away at it um dude there's so much like so many different ways we could take this podcast just based on the context inside of your book um but i want to respect your time and i want to respect the fact that people need to go get the book in order to really dive into what you're giving so um one last time man and i'll link everything in the show notes uh title of the book where they can find it um and then if you could just say too, like what you think people will leave with like if you could like finish with one statement of like you will become this or learn this or have this after reading the book what would that be Yeah, for sure. So the book is The Personality Diet. Um, The best place to get it is personalitydietbook.com. So no the on the URL, it's just personalitydietbook.com. And you know, I'll hook your listeners up if they go to that URL and they can uh, can get a copy and some other gifts in there. Um, So, you know, I think that the ultimate thing that I will say you'll leave with is clarity. Uh, And I think just, you know, more certainty around what you should be doing as far as what's going to work best for you, uh, as far as like giving you some mindset tools to work with. I think that that is something that I'm, I'm really passionate about. Like I mentioned, I like to start with the psychology of things and then let the physiology kind of fall into place. Um, So I think just more clarity around, you know, the, the mindset kind of more of a growth mindset understanding how much control you really have. Uh, So I'll say clarity and empowerment would probably be the two uh, things that you'll walk away with after reading the book. The two of the most important things when stepping into a diet that, and probably the two most, uh, misunderstood or, or, or uh, undervalued things. Cause I think a lot of people dive right into the strategies, the science of tactics, which I'm guilty of promoting. Cause I love the science, but anybody who has worked with us knows that like, before we dive into that, we, we do the same thing. We reframe that before we get there. Um, so uh, everybody, I will link that in the show notes, go grab this book. I can't recommend it highly enough. Mike has been somebody that I've known for at least a few years now. And we've always conversated about a bunch of different topics. He's somebody I really respect and I look eye to eye with as far as uh, the level of education and, and quality of results that he can provide. So highly recommend you guys check this book out. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. And Mike, thank you for your time, man. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Just got to uh, knock a bucket list item off of, you know, off my list. So get on your show. <laughs> oh yeah, man. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. 
please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.